Risk Cheese Radio Podcast, your home for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. I'm your host, Brodinky. As me with always is my co-host, Schmidt. Schmitty, how's it going? It's going well, my friend. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, uh, happy Halloween to everybody out there. This will be a Halloween drop episode. Yes, yes, yes. Halloween, Halloween. Yeah, yeah. How's the uh, new edition sleeping and everything? How's that going? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's going so far. Not so, not not bad, not bad. I'm a little tired. Yeah, of course. But uh, that's to be expected, being a new dad again. But um, no, everything's been good. Baby's adjusting well. Mama's doing well. So uh, no complaints on my end. Yeah, the uh, the sleep interval is never going to be that good. But the <laughs> fact that the baby is sleeping is a victory. At yes, itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and my firstborn did really, really well. She slept the first. You know, she slept through the night, first night, every single time. Uh, number two is a little bit different, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it's not, it's not so bad. I know that there's other people out there that have had way worse experiences than me, uh, but she's, she's done. Okay. I'm actually, uh, very happy with how she's going so far. That's cool. Any, uh, any fun costumes for Halloween this year? (laughs) Um, dinosaurs, dinosaurs, My, uh, my firstborn is obsessed with dinosaurs. Um, she keeps prancing around the house roaring like a dinosaur so you know what that's what we're gonna do so uh my boys uh, are uh my boys are going minions this year ah yes the minions yeah so so what are you going then uh i don't i just i bring a rolling cooler and uh we just go house (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love your style i love your style well you know it's always fun i mean i always have the, the the fallback i can always just grab an apron and you know fall back on the chef thing so oh yeah for sure absolutely it's always a built-in costume right right it's like my wife she would be a nurse whenever she wants to right um i because my daughter is uh gonna be a dinosaur i am going as alan grant from dress oh very nice which i think is a cool costume right like who wouldn't want to do that very nice so, i like it a lot there you go <laughs> clever girl clever girl all right uh Quick housekeeping before we hop into things here. This is probably the last run for uh, Real Men Wear Pink here. I'm so pleased to say we have amassed, I, I checked it a couple hours ago, somewhere in the, the realm of $20,600. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's a big deal. Um, again, I, I don't know how I'm going to top that, if I can, if I should even try, but... I guess I'll give it a go again next year. <laughs> oh no, you're definitely gonna try. We're definitely gonna push. We're, we'll figure out some cool stuff to do next year. But I mean, you know, congratulations, man. That's um, that's really amazing, especially given where you ended up last year, which is now a fraction of where you at. Yeah, uh, I was year. just just trying to beat sixty one hundred, and then at one point I was like, oh, maybe we'll beat ten, and then I'm like, oh, fifteen, uh... <laughs> twenty. <laughs> that's what it was like. I, I yeah. kept counting, counting, and adding up, and I was like, oh man, this this is kind of a big deal. So. Uh, you know, big thanks to everybody who helped out. Nomos, Strap Habit, everyone who donated, obviously. Yes. Uh, people who bought straps, people who shared your pictures. I'm sure everybody is tired of my daily reposts, but, uh, you know, we'll get our last few in tomorrow before before <laughs> November takes over. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we got to we got to give uh, November and uh, and the Movember bros their, their limelight, too. So. The Mo's. The Mo's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, 
it's it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's it's cool seeing kind of where it was. I I don't know if you saw it made it to uh, the Fratello Grand Seiko Paris. I did see event. that. I was like, that's so that. cool. Like, well, I mean, how how could it how could it not come full circle, right? Like somebody at a Grand Seiko event with Fratello, and somebody wearing a GS on a strap habit Brodinky collab strap, like uh, so cool, so cool to it. And and that was like across the world. Yeah, sick, absolutely sick. Like not in the U.S. This was international, which I thought was even more cool. Yeah, and after I reposted, the guy DM me he was like, "That was me. Can I repost this?" I was like, "Absolutely." <laughs> <laughs> it's your strap, buddy. Yeah, it's dude. your photo. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome, though. But it's so cool that 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 was international and that got some some limelight press. I think that was really cool. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be a few people who are happy that they won't won't be seeing much more of that, but. Oh yeah, you know, pink is officially over. It's one month, guys. It's one month. I know, like that was such a grind, right? Yeah, thirty days, thirty-one days, right? And like, not for nothing. Like, look, if it annoys you, it annoys you. But we're like, really, this is what this is what we're getting up in arms over now, right? Like, how, the way I think about it is like, how charmed is your life that your biggest gripe is to complain about a fundraiser? Yeah, that a bunch of people got involved in for a good cause and raised a ton of money it's for a good cause for like sure. and i could see if we put it out there it was a huge dud maybe be like haha all right i don't know it's just it like i don't take it personally but like from even if like a third party perspective i'm like this is this can't be a good look right this look i mean it, it, <laughs> and at the end of the day it is what it is there's always going to be people that are a little bit jealous or, or detractors and, and that's okay the things that we do are not for everybody. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, um, before doing this with you and, and you really bringing this to my attention in my focus, I wasn't anybody that was really concerned with donating anything or giving to causes or raising awareness. This is, this was your thing. And I got excited to be a part of it because I was like, you know what? Nobody's doing this. It needs to be done. And I'm gonna ride with my friend who's who's really spearheading this and and let's let's do it and make awareness and talk to people about it and share stories and post pink straps and do everything because that's how these things happen. And again, not for nothing, how many pink strap posts did you see? How many watches came out this year? In the last few weeks, coincidentally, they had pink dials, they had, you know, uh donation money. All of this started. And it, it was the same thing that happened with Movember all those years ago. It started with somebody who had a, who wanted to bring a cause to life and focus on it, and it became a big thing. So you know what? There's going to be haters out there. That's always going to be the case. But this is for a good cause. It raises money, and it brings awareness to an issue that is necessary. And this is the other thing, too. You know, breast cancer affects both genders, men and women. And we have a lot of ladies out there that sometimes feel like we're not focusing on them as well. And I think this is a great cause that can help both people, you know? And uh, I think it's great. So that's it. Just keep doing your thing, man. Can't disagree with you. But needless to say, I'm uh, I'm unbelievably proud as to what we accomplished. We, not just you and me, uh, everybody who helped out, everybody who took part, who was having fun with it. Appreciate you all to the moon and back. Uh, yeah, never imagined raising this much money. It was it was really a lot of fun to see how it really stacked up and. 
Uh, again, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to try to take that on again next year. <laughs> so thank you all. And that's probably the last you'll hear about it for a long time. So, <laughs> but I will be drawing the Nomos, I guess, tomorrow or the next day. So stay tuned. Maybe you're walking away with a new sweet 38 millimeter watch. Amazing. In the vein of new watches, I guess let's do that real quick before we do some topic. Uh, let's start with Timex. I know we been seeing a lot of them lately but they've released a new expedition north this time it's titanium it's 41 millimeters it's a 200 meter uh, i guess sort of an explorer's watch field watch whatever you want to call it but yeah pretty cool kind of an all-arounder yeah exactly and and i think this is one that's um basically a commercialized version of one that they did before with the james brand okay I don't really know who that is, but it's some type of collaboration they did, I think, at the end of last year or the year before. And everyone loved it because it was titanium. It was cool for Timex. It was obviously a different type of Timex, a little bit higher price point. And it was an LD of 500 pieces. And I think that they did a black dial and eventually a white dial version too. Um, but this looks like the same type of look. The only difference that I can see there is there's no James branding. There's no internal 24-hour scale, and now it's just going to have straight Arabics. So handset and everything looks the same. It, the other one was titanium, too. It was still 41 millimeter as well. So I don't know. Um, you know, This just looks like a, a normal version, I guess. Yeah, and I like that they put the Expedition logo at the 12. Yeah, Pretty cool. Mountain. It's a cool little logo. It's like it's mountain different. range with one in the middle. Yeah, it's different. Very different. It's neat. But hey, you know, you're getting something interesting, something slightly exotic from what people consider to be a bargain basement brand. Pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, and again, it's, you know, $350 is not a watch that's that's inexpensive. It's not a watch that's overly expensive. It's, it would be a great, you know, hobbyist watch, weekender, whatever you want to call it, um, camping feel watch, whatever. It I think it would be great. So Kudos to Tarmex. I like it. They also dropped a Hodinkee Q collab again. It doesn't look anything like the old Hodinkee Q collab. Yeah. Uh, this one is very silver and gray. Yeah, very monochromatic for sure. Yes. But it looks like it has a pretty cool bracelet. Uh, they took away the, I believe the last one had a, was it 12 or 24 hour bezel? Um, it kind of resembled a Polar Explorer. But uh, I, I remember it had hours on the bezel. This one has sort of more of like a dive bezel, sixty minutes. Yeah, the other one was a was a was a basically like a GMT bezel. Okay, there you go. Yeah. But this one, I I really like this bracelet on it. It looks really cool, kind of very much seventies vibe. Yeah, it's almost like a like a twist of flex, like a like a Spidel like expansion right. that bracelet. That is kind of what that it, looks like. It doesn't. I don't think it actually moves, but uh, it looks pretty cool. Oh, maybe it does. Yeah, I'm sorry, I guess... take that back. It is a, it is an expansion bracelet. Oh, neat. So that's cool. Something extra. Uh, it is cool. Yeah, staying somewhat affordable. Uh, I know you've probably seen that uh, Rowing Blazers Seiko collab that came out. Oh, yeah. How, how could you miss it? The dial colors were just like insane. So I guess they were all over Instagram the, for a while. Sort of the Stella theme there kind of <laughs> resonating through. A little like, bit, a little bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, I'm a big Seiko fan. I like color. I'm torn. I'm going to be honest. I'm torn. I want to like it. 
I'm a sucker for kanji day. Yep. I really yep. like the markers, especially on the multicolored. With, it's uh, blacked out with the multicolored markers. Yeah, pretty yeah, yeah. The fluorescent dials are all pretty cool. I just, I've said before how I do not like the watch that they base this on. And I think that's my gripe. Yeah. You know, I'm not a huge uh, dress KX fan. I think this case is still just a hair too big at 40 millimeters for what this watch tries to accomplish, especially because you're not getting much in the way of bezel. So if this was right. more of like a diver or something that's going to take up some room with that bezel, I think it would be more successful. I just don't think this does it. And that's where my yeah. my gripes lie with this watch. I also don't love the handset that it comes on, like uh, that comes on it. But uh yeah, yeah. You know, sure. I, I guess they're okay. They're neat. They're they're not that expensive, but I'm not I'm probably not trying to get one, especially not a secondary price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cause you know, these this this starts to fall into one of those like hype drops. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like it's all over hype. Well, beans. it's like a streetwear crossover. So you're gonna exactly. get that. You're gonna exactly. get exactly very moon swatchy in that regard. Yeah, exactly. You're gonna have people that are outside of the watch industry that are gonna be toting this watch and, and gonna be wanting to get it outside of you know watch collectors. So it becomes a little bit more prohibitive. Um plus they had that famous uh gosh, what is his name? He's an Asian comedian, he's also an actor. Um Richard um, Park, is that his name? Uh, I think so. Yeah, he's the one that did the. He's done, done like a bunch of Netflix video movies. And, and he stuff was like uh, the uh, the interview. Wasn't he Kim? Yes. One of the Kims. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That was that was early on in his career. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so he's like been photographed like wearing the watch, like as part of the advertising yeah, all campaign. All ten of so, them. <laughs> yeah. Like on like, kind of like Nicholas Hayek style from from swatches back in the day, which is kind of funny. We just talked about swatches. And it's we kind did of the same yeah. thing. Um, but you're seeing that here and, and obviously he's a big, you know, he's a big actor. He, he does a lot of comedy and stuff like that. So he's very, very well known. And I do believe, I think he's a Seiko collector. I believe Nick has sourced something for him. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. And I know right now Nick has penetrated so much of Hollywood and LA and New York and all these different actors <laughs> around the world. It's like interesting. Now words, man. <laughs> I mean, you know it is what it is when you find when you find your way into the market you find your way in somehow right but once once you kind of get a foothold then everyone starts kind of you know you're the you become the guy you know yeah. you're the plug for for this type that's of exactly stuff. So, it. so i know i know he did some other things for other actors and and that's kind of where he has started to take off really in, in, in sourcing stuff for shows and different things like that but i mean i think i think that these watches are certainly for somebody um, I, I think I liked the the divers that they did a little bit a while ago a little bit better. Yeah, you get Just, a little more design. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Versatility with a diver because yeah. you're getting the bezel in addition. This one's a little more sterile in general. And and I liked and I liked the dials or the, the bezels that they did on the divers because they were so funky. They were very funky. Like you know, you had the quarter bezel. Then you had like the the zigzag lined bezel, which is something I've never seen on a watch yeah. ever. I thought that was really cool. Um, but but this is obviously a watch for somebody. People are gonna buy this watch. I think they're attractive. I think that they make sense. I think it's gonna be a great streetwear kind of hype type watch. Um, you know, you and I have shared our sentiments about this type of platform for the dress KX. It's not my favorite, but there are a lot of people out there that really like it. And you do and, get a cool NATO with it. And yeah, and there's there's also the versatility of the colors, especially because these are very bright, 
very saturated colors. Um, it's going to be able to match with a lot of different outfits and things like that. And that's kind of the rowing blazers streetwear culture is yeah, that's what it appears bold patterns and crazy designs, a little bit riffing off like traditional preppy style and, 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 and making it a little bit more accessible uh, to different people. So I, I think it's cool. Just not a watch for me. Yeah. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to talk about was you you were speaking before about how a lot of brands have hopped on the sort of the pink train lately. And I, I hadn't seen this one until recently, but Monza put out a pink Noble. And yep. the Noble has a really nice size. You know, it's it's kind of that in-between dress and sport. Yeah. Sport watch. So this one, it's got a really nice pink dial on it, and they're kicking in. I believe it was ten percent to charity. Yeah, ten percent to charity. Um, it looks like they're they're currently looking for somebody to partner with to really make sure that it finds a great home. So, yeah, from what I saw, I saw it was somewhere in their comments. They said that they they were finding places who would respond to them for their for a donation. Which you know, I can put them in touch with some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Real men wear pink is a, is a is a thing out there, right? Yeah, bro. So, dinky has got people. I do have people. And then uh, the last thing I, and more specifically you, wanted to chime in on <laughs> is uh, the Omega Chrono Chime. I think that was sort of the bombshell of the week, if not month, if not. I year? don't know. Well, is, I, is it bold enough to say year? Well, here's my. <laughs> they're they're shooting themselves in the foot on that because I don't know if they already did that in March. That is true. So, but uh, that'll come back into play later. It's something I want to talk about. But regardless, uh, definitely the most exciting thing I think, or the most expected, unexpected thing to come out in uh, recent memory. So, I guess have at it, sir. Why don't you uh, take the people through this one? Well, uh, okay. So, first off, I want to ask, what are your thoughts? Because I know where I sit, and I'm completely 100% biased because you guys know I'm an Omega fan. But I want to hear from you as a casual outsider who saw this, tell me what you think about it. Well, here's my thing. I think a lot of people know me as somebody who likes to lean into the affordables more than the unobtainium. And I guess that's sure. sort of what I see this as, is unobtainium. Obviously, price is extremely prohibitive. Yeah, uh, yeah. 450000 US is not an insurmountable amount of money, yeah. right? Actually, that's like almost the amount that I have left on my mortgage. So, <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, right? Do we live in the same place? What's right. Um, so, with that said, I mean the technology is really cool. Obviously, this is about being able to do something. I I think everybody sees that and say, "Well, who's this watch for?" And obviously, the answer is going to be not many people. I think of oh for sure you know these the, all these crazy tourbillons that like Grand Seiko puts out they're not a brand that like you expect that from an AP a Patek yeah you yeah. don't expect that from a Grand Seiko but they do it because they want to show you that they can and yeah. that they have some chops and that's exactly what Omega is doing here now and, yeah go ahead no I'm just saying I I you know I I appreciate what it is even if I had you know I hit this. 800 million billion Powerball, whatever it is. Am I getting one? Still probably no, but <laughs> I appreciate what they're bringing to the table. I appreciate they're trying to show people that this is something we can do. And you know what? Some of the people that were often mentioned in the same sentence as aren't doing this. So. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's uh, that you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. 
This is a watch about flexing orological muscle. So many people get so obsessed when JLC does something super cool or Grand Seiko does something super cool or Paddock. And it's just like these crazy complications that the vast majority of people just would never be able to get. But no. you know what? They did it anyway. Right. And I think that there's a lot of credence that needs to be taken to, to brands that are willing to do this. This is obviously not going to be a watch for everybody. I think I've heard um, written on the blogs and stuff in the research that I did for this. That I think that they're making like less than 10 a year for okay. the world. Like that's not a lot of watches. And what's interesting about this timepiece is this is a complication that has never existed before in the history of watchmaking. Right. Okay. The reason why it's called a chrono chime is because it's basically a riff on a minute repeater, which by the way, Omega as a brand was the first company to take the minute repeater complication and make it into a wristwatch uh, back in 1892, which I found out. Um, but fast forward to today, it's essentially taking that type of complication, the minute repeater, and adopting it into a way that will allow a chronograph to be functioning. So this is a basically, it's a doppel chrono. It's a um, Rochebrand chronograph that has a repeater function built in to chime the elapsed time of okay. the chronograph. Okay. This has never existed before from anybody. Not from Paddock, not from Vacheron, not from any number, Elong and Sona, nobody has created this complication before. It is an amazing piece of orological art. And according to the Omega website, it took over six years to develop this movement. It's the most complicated Omega movement ever made. It's the caliber 1932. And what's even more impressive than this, this is really an orological machine. Like this is, when you look at it, you look at the breakdown, you look at how it, the architecture in which it was created and how it was designed, the finishing of it, it's, it's intense. But what's interesting about this is it's still master chronometer certified. You can still stick a giant magnet to it, put it through an MRI machine, put it in water, all of the things that any normal master chronometer watch is subjected to. This first ever world premiere grand complication is also capable of the same stringent testing. I, you know, to me, there's really nothing out there that's going to compete with this. One, because it's its own thing. It has never existed before. But the finishing, you can't say it's not there. It did Grand Fu, Aventurine, Enamel Dial, and Tachymetric Bezel on the Speedmaster version. It's completely solid 18 carats Sedna Gold. The movement itself is Sedna Gold. They did a pocket watch version um, that, yeah, that, that riffs into a pocket watch. It's basically like the... The original 1932 pocket watches that they used to time the Olympics back in the day. I mean, this watch is truly impressive. And they made it in two configurations. Yeah. One that's more about celebrating the heritage of the brand. And then two in a watch that's actually wearable in the Speedmaster version. Now, these are big watches. You know, they're I think they're both 45 or around 45 yep. millimeters. Like this is a heavy watch. It's a big piece. It's obviously a grail collector type piece. It's not something that that anybody's just going to run out and go buy um, because it would be insane. But to sit here and scoff about the price or, you know, oh, this is stupid. Why would anybody do, you know, it's they do it because they can. And because it should be done. 
you know, one of my favorite quotes that was uh, that was given, and it was an original quote by uh, a, a, a gentleman who was an explorer. His last name was Mallory. And this was a guy who was going to climb Mount Everest. And he ultimately would have died climbing Mount Everest. And during one of the speeches that JFK gave for going to the moon in the 1960s, during an interview, they interviewed Mallory and they asked him why he wanted to climb Mount Everest. And what he said is because it's there. Why should we do a chronotype? Why should Omega make a grand complication that's never existed? Because they should. That's the reality. That's the logic. It's because why not? Why, can, why, why do I want to be a brand like Rolex or like somebody else that's going to continue to raise their prices every single year? It's insane. It's crazy to me. And it just begs the question, should brands do this? And I think 100% that they should. And that will lead seamlessly into our topic for this week. By pure coincidence, I think before the announcement for the Chrono Chime even happened, yes, somebody posed a question to us. A good question, by the way. So rather than answering him straight out, I said, you know what? This is going to make for a really nice episode topic. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I will give him his due. Uh, His handle is Chrono underscore CanJam. He writes, what are your thoughts on the MR01 Baltic? I love my Baltic. My wife gave me the Bicompax 001 as a wedding gift when it came out, and I have been a loyal follower since. My question is, where is the line drawn when looking at affordability and not just making something? When the MR01 came out, uh, or it came in, it looked incredible. It still does. I heard the micro rotor was noisy, but wow. I wasn't sure if it was just mine, uh, maybe, but finally found a review on YouTube where they addressed it. At what point should a brand say they need to sacrifice affordability to make a proper watch or stick with the cheaper movements and keep the price point low? So essentially, this person got this Baltic. They say that the micro rotor is very loud, and apparently this is a bigger issue than just his watch. He likes the idea. He likes what they're doing, but is not sure if they overshot. Yeah, what they because it's not going to be a hundred percent perfect. Right, right. So his question essentially is: Should brands stick with what they know? Should they try to push boundaries, or is there somewhere in the middle? I guess. I mean, I think I think I kind of already said it um, with uh, the Chrono Chime. And for me, the answer is very simple. Absolutely. Yes. Now, I know that this is a little bit more of a, a of a poignant question, especially directed to kind of more micro space. But I think the interesting aspect of the micro brand world is you're delivering something that's truly different, special, unique, whatever you want to call it in something that's not that expensive. When you're looking at an MRO one. I mean, we're talking, what, around $1,000 or so for this type of watch? How many micro rotor watches do you know that you can get for that <laughs> price point, regardless of the noise or not? And, and I think in some cases, yes, there are watches out there that exist in where the, the, the bearings for the, the winding mechanism are noisy. 
That's why when you look at the back of the micro rotor, it's held by a giant screw. When you look at the back of, say, like a Rolex or an Omega, there's typically ball bearings on the top that allow the rotor to spin with basically no friction. So there's no audible noise, right? It's a difference in the finishing quality, but also in the architecture of the movement itself. There's engineering that has to come into play to do something like this. Right. And in order to create a micro rotor watch like that, you're going to have to make some sacrifices or I you're going to have to find a supplier. I can't imagine it's cheap. No, it's not cheap. I mean, how many micro rotor brands do you know that produce these? Not many. You got JLC, right? You got uh, Universal Genève, which is now completely defunct, right? They were big on micro rotors for their pull router series. I mean, there's not really a lot of brands that I can think off the top of my head that produce micro rotors, which means there's also subsequently not a lot of suppliers that can produce micro rotor movements, right? Because let's be honest, this is a Baltic. It's basically some type of seagull movement or some type of derivative of that because it's a, a, a lower cost movement, right? Yeah. It's how they can keep the prices down. But you're going to have to do a trade-off. And I think this is a problem that's more geared to the, the micro brand space. But, um, you know, for me, I think what makes Baltic special is they, they are doing something truly different. They're trying to be innovative in their space. And yes, they can be derivative. They can be homage worthy. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a cool watch for what it is for around a thousand dollars. I mean, what, what do you think, bro? For me, the answer is it depends. All right. Now, I all the time admit I like affordable watches, obviously, because you can own as many as you want and not feel overly guilty. And if you need to just right. move one, it's never that much of a hassle. You can always just one in, one out, no big deal, not feel that bad about it. You know, kind of a almost like a guilt free part of the hobby. Whereas when you're making bigger purchases, you have to, there's a lot to consider, right? There's yeah, a lot, yeah. you have to budget, right? If I, if I want to pick up, you know, a, a $150 watch or something or a G-Shock for hundred bucks. I don't really have to think twice about it, <laughs> but you know, once you start creeping up into four digits, you know, then yeah, yeah I have it to start gets thinking. expensive. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, have to, I have to start thinking about, well, how am I going to finagle this? So yeah, for me, it depends. Um, where I was going with that is sometimes you get an affordable, you're like, wow, they're delivering me so much of this little package. You get it. And you're like, okay, now I understand why it was as much money as it was. Correct. It, you have to skimp somewhere, right? There's not, you're not going to get, you know, Wagyu ribeye for $5 a pound. You know I mean? It, it, as people say, cheap steak ain't good. Good steak ain't cheap. You know what I mean? It, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's always kind of where I come from it. Now, sometimes, listen, you're going to find a gem. You're going to find somebody who delivers an affordable package. Maybe not everything is perfect, but maybe it's as simple as changing a strap or a bracelet, and then you have a heavy hitter on your hand, right? Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. think a lot of like the the well loved Seikos of the past were like that, where you could just change a small aspect. Maybe it's just a bezel. Yeah. Right. Or I mean, a handset, and bang, this watch is killer now. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. And let's, before we move on to a different point, but let's let's look at that. Think about the SKX. Yeah, that's always one we go to. I mean, uh, we talked about this at length so many times, and I'm going to keep talking about it, but this was a perfect example. That watch was not perfect. 
The chapter rings were always misaligned. The bezel rotation was kind of hit or miss on certain models. JDM was sometimes a little bit better than you know the Singapore versions or the Malaysian, ver whatever it was. But it didn't hack, right? Like yeah. there was no hacking feature. But you know what? People didn't care. The watch was beautiful because of some of its little bit imperfections, right? It's not perfect. It's not meant to be perfect, but that's why I could buy one of the most sought after dive watches in the world back then for $180. Yep. I mean, let's be honest. You're going to have to make some types of concessions, but you know what? I don't think that Baltic is sacrificing the movement accuracy or the, the quality of the product that they're producing just because the rotors are a little bit louder. And keep in mind too, you know, when you look at the MRO one, it has a it has a case back that's that's exhibition. Right. Right. Typically with watch movements that are a little bit more noisy, um, they usually will use steel case backs or some type of metal case back because it will deaden the sound. Right. So if you think about something like a like a Valju seventy seven fifty, right, you can hear that rotor. You know, if you if you've ever hurled one of those chronographs. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you move your wrist in just the certain way, you feel like your entire watch is a centrifuge. It's yeah. just spinning as fast as it can. The entire thing is vibrating. And that's because that movement only winds in one direction. So when you catch it in the way that the rotor spins in the opposite direction, it's basically spinning with no friction because it doesn't wind in that direction. It just launches the rotor at full speed, at full velocity. Right, but you can hear it. It's a loud movement sound, but it's just the way the movement was designed. It's not an imperfection in how it performs or functions or keeps time. It's just basically, hey, you know, we had to make a concession somewhere. Then the other side of the coin for me is just because you can, does that mean you should? Right. And I always I use Seiko as sort of a measuring stick, A, because I like them and I want anybody to pick a brand that I pick and they'll know they're going to say, oh, you're just a hater. Blah, blah. So Seiko, obviously, I love them. But also the, the fact that they offer so much, so many different price points makes them easy to relate to things. Sure. So, for example, a head scratcher for me is always Seiko moving into the up above now 1500, 2000 range, a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, obviously, they've been known as sort of an affordable champion throughout the years. Yeah, I understand when there's like a specialized tool watch, like a Marine Master 300 or something that has to be more than that. I get it. But for now, you're seeing sort of the the bulk or the the real meat and potatoes of their lineup are now in the eight to twelve hundred range. Yeah, yeah. I'm OK with that, but I think that's where it should stop. Like, I accept yeah. that they're trying to deliver more. I, I understand that and I like what they're putting out. But I don't want to see them go above and beyond that, really, because, I mean, again, you have Grand Seiko to sort of take the reins from there anyway. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's exactly what it is. So, I mean, I then you have Grand Seiko, who also does this on their end. Like I said, they make things like tourbillons. They make crazy movements. They make crazy case finishings, dials. Uh, they use all kinds of case materials and offer them in dressy packages and things. So you can get a, a Grand Seiko from somewhere around 2000 to 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they're yeah. doing that in yeah. their own right as well, but they're doing it for the reason that Omega is doing it in that they're just flexing on other people who are doing this as well, saying, look what we can do also, but that's their thing. Grand Seiko can do that and yeah. should do that. Seiko does not need to be making $5,000 watches. No, no, no. And I, and I agree with you. And that's, and that's where I think what I was trying to bring up is you got to, you got to pick your lane. You got to stay in it. Baltic has not delivered anything that's more expensive than around the $1,500 price point with the exception of maybe that limited edition chronograph watch with the pocket watch. It was like two watches. Oh, the one that they just recently. Yeah. I mean, it was like a a few months ago that they did. It was that, you know, that racing collaboration. That was a very small release though. It was a small release. It made sense. It was two watches. Okay. More expensive. Right. Okay. That makes sense. But, you know, for me, they know their price market. They know their price segment and everything that they're producing is relatively around that vein. You're not having Baltic releasing a $5,000 watch, right? Um, it it it's starts small. Now, eventually, could they do that? Sure. Anything is anything is physically possible. I mean, I think a, a perfect you know example of this would be uh, Christopher Ward, right? Christopher Ward. They started out much in the same way. They were a small micro brand company producing watches using you know borrowed movements, you know Solita powered movements or or, or ETA powered movements. And they were producing, you know, dial watches and other things like that. But now, eventually, because they've been around so long, they've started focusing on in-house stuff that's going to be much more prolific, much more accurate. But it's going to come with a higher price tag. Yeah, and so I, I think in that regard, your branding or your brand perception and who you are plays a role. I guess is what I, is what I'm getting at a little bit. Yeah. Again, we talked about Frederick Constant making a perpetual calendar for under ten grand, not by much, but under ten grand. Yeah. Again, what's what's their goal? Because they make affordable watches mostly, but you know what? At the end of the day, they wanted to say, "Look what we could do." I, look, I just and that think, was that's an in-house caliber, right? Yeah, it is an in-house caliber. So that was developed by them, and I think you know at the end of the day, what this does is it just shows a, a brand's chops. And I think if the brand is willing to take on the R&D and the, and the cost of development to make something like this, why not? It makes the entire watch industry better for it. And that was the same thing that I've said over the years when um, when the Swatch Group started cutting away ETA's movement deliveries to different brands outside of the Swatch Group. For many years, this was the big to-do. It was a big controversy because everyone was like, oh, well, you've been supplying us with all the support and these movements now, and all of a sudden you're going to take this away and we're not going to have anything. You're just going to, you're using it as a way to monopolize the industry where only you benefit. And the idea from Hayek and, and, and the higher-ups at that time certainly was a business decision because other brands were basically profiteering off of the development that the Swatch Group had to incur but it was a way to help reignite the passions of the watch industry and say, you know what? We need brands to start innovating and making things themselves again, the way that so many of them did when they first became brands. Because at one point in time, every brand was a micro brand by today's definition. And only the ones that could really stick it out and be, you know, savvy enough to, to, to roll with the tides of, of change in the industry survived. And those who didn't fell by the wayside. And 
you know, my favorite brand, Omega, was almost a victim of the quartz crisis and all of these things that happened, right? But if Swatch Group hadn't said, hey, we're no longer supplying you with movements just because you want to buy them from us, we wouldn't have in-house Panerai movements. We wouldn't have in-house Breitling movements. We wouldn't have in-house tag movements. All these movements were being purchased from the Swatch Group. Rotors and other decorative elements were being swapped onto them. And they were being sold as their own stuff. When in actuality, it was not. It was just rebranded to look like that brand had developed it. Now, since then, we've had a massive explosion of complications, of different types of technologies, different types of manufacturing techniques, bigger power reserves. All of these things have come naturally from these brands being forced to do something like this. I mean, just recently I saw the uh, the Panerai. Um, I forget which version it is, but but they call it the Luna. It's like a very thin dress watch version. I think it's marketed more to women, but it has a moon phase on it. Yeah, It's an actually really nice looking Panerai. I really do like it. And if I was going to buy a Panerai for my wife, that would be a watch that I would certainly consider because I, I really love the symmetry of the moon phase at 3 o'clock. I think it's a very attractive watch. I love the name Luna. It just It's very cool. And that would not be a watch that Panerai would have made 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, they weren't being forced. They were just basically taking Unitas 6497s and 6498s and swapping them out with Panerai plates. And then like, all right, guys, you got a manual wine Panerai. <laughs> it's the same 6497 you could have bought off of eBay for 300 bucks. You know what I mean? Like it was nothing. So I think. All of this stuff, you know, coming full circle, I think if brands are willing to do it, they should do it. Not everyone's going to understand it, but sometimes for brands, it's about taking the road less traveled. And I think, you know, Omega certainly did that with the Chrono Chime. Had Omega never produced this watch, nobody would have cared because nobody would have ever known they were capable of doing it. And I think that this might change the, the, the sentiment for very high-end collectors that are looking at, you know, a brand like Omega. Because what other company out there that delivers a watch that can penetrate all market segments? I don't know of a single other one. Can you buy a $5,000 paddock? New? You can buy a $5,000 Omega, but you can also buy a half a million dollar Omega. And they all share the same technology. Isn't yeah, that I would, weird? I would have to bridge Seiko and Grand Seiko to get that. Yeah. And Seiko, as a again, and that's a perfect example too, but Seiko as a brand overarchingly is certainly in that way, right? But you, you're right. You would have to bridge both entities. But there's almost nobody else in the industry that delivers something like that. It's very interesting. So I think, I think it's good. I think it makes the industry exciting. I get excited about seeing these things. And when I saw the Chrono Chime drop, I was like, there, there's no way this is real. <laughs> how, how did they do this? This is the brand is like, yeah, Speedmasters. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it around 6,000. <laughs> I mean, if this is a Rolex, it'd be 15, right? Like it'd be $20,000, one of the most iconic chronographs in the world. Yeah, 6,000 sounds about right. So I don't know. That's just kind of where I sit on it. I think it's uh, I think it's great for the industry. I think brands that they have the capabilities, they have the intestinal fortitude to do it, 
they have the understanding that it may not be for everybody and that's okay, then they should do it. Like I said, I cannot imagine Frederick Constant is slinging slimline moon phase perpetual calendars out the door no. because for them, that's a very expensive watch in their, in their, in their range. But I'm glad that they did it. And somebody's going to buy it and be like, this is really freaking cool. I wish more brands would, would take this risk and do something like this. That's my two cents. Yeah, and with regard to Baltic, I mean, we, we talk about them enough in the new drop se- segment pretty much, uh, kind of often. I like what they do. Their watches are inspired. Some people would say they're a little derivative at times maybe, but I mean, it, there's only so many configurations of no-date diver you can make. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, eventually everything's going to start to look the same. Right, right. So I'm in favor of pushing boundaries. Um, you know, sometimes you outkick your coverage. That's I think those that's growing pains of being a smaller player and expanding. Yes. Is you're going to have to try to test the waters and sometimes you're not going to hit it all the way out of the park. You're going to have to settle for, you know, a, a single. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but on the other end of it, you 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 just can't win. This is a hobby you can't win in. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Let me, let me. We we talked about the date window issue all those episodes ago. <laughs> well, let me put Remember it to you like this. Episode? Let me put it to you like this. And this was this was the the joke when people saw the Corona Time this week is they they're trying to say how Omega is look at what they're doing with their branding. They released a two hundred sixty dollar Moon Watch. They released a four hundred thousand dollar Chrono Chime, right? Yeah. Look at how how thin they're spreading their branding out. Blah blah blah. Whereas you could view that as they offered you a $260 bioceramic speedmaster. They're also offering somebody a watch movement that doesn't exist in a wild package for people who can afford that. Yeah. And in between, they offer you everything you could probably want. Yeah. So again, haha, I guess, but like, I, I don't know. That, those didn't stick with me. I, I didn't read, read the drop that way. And I, I don't, I don't think it's that funny. Like I, I just, it just doesn't hit the way that I engage with humor. Like I, I would want a brand to put out a cheap watch and an expensive watch. It, that doesn't bother me. Absolutely. I would, I can't, if I'm a Speedmaster owner or I'm a, whatever, I'm, I'm the person who bought the Chrono Chime. Do I care that they put out a $260 cheaper version? No, I don't because it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's right. not the same thing. And any and any collector who says that it is or that somehow it's it's remotely, you know, diminishing the the brand, it, it's obviously a collector that's very un, uninformed. Well, do you the person you, that's you eat tomahawk ribeye every night? No, you have a hamburger. They're yeah. both beef. What are you cheap? Yeah. Do you yeah, are exactly. you diluting your diet? Yeah, exactly. It's a very it's a very circular logic. It doesn't make any sense and when you really extrapolate it out, it's just it's not something that is is logical. It's not at all. All of these things are good for the industry. Why? Because there's a collector out there who's going to buy a $450,000 Chrono Chime because it's one of the most impressive watches ever made, period. But there's a high school student that's graduating that just got you know hype drop and got himself a Mars Moon Swatch. These are two people that really love watches for two different reasons and in two different price categories. And sometimes I think that we forget that there are collectors in both of those spaces. So many times do we shop with our own wallet when we think about things like this. And I know 
and you and I shared the same sentiment, you know, every single hype drop that comes out, that's like half a million dollars. Like I can appreciate it as a casual viewer. I'll never be able to get it, but that doesn't matter because somebody out there will, and somebody out there is going to enjoy it the same way that, you know, somebody's going to enjoy a $260 moon swatch. And you know what? I would not be shocked if the person who will, Winds up with the Chrono Chime has a mood swatch. Oh, 100%. You know they do. Yeah. There's there's just that that niche of uh, collectors out there. So it would not surprise me a bit. I know it's true. I mean, Speedmaster collectors are diehard. Speedmasters are Speedmasters. doesn't matter if they're made in bioceramic or fully encased in 18 karat set and gold. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? But yeah, that's my two cents. I think I think I pretty much we I think we pretty much covered this. I I don't think uh, I don't think there's many other ways about it. But yeah. So Chrono Can Jam, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to you, buddy, for 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 posing uh, this uh, quixotic question. I think it was great. Uh, bro talked to me about it earlier when we were talking about the uh, the idea for this week. So I know we didn't really directly answer your question in the comments, but uh, hopefully making an episode out of your question in terms of its answer, it was a little bit better and more beneficial for you. So thank you for submitting it, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you all for tuning in for another episode. Uh, I guess we'll take this one out. Schmitty. Uh, thank you for joining me on another episode of Rishi's radio. We'll see you next week for episode 55. Take care, everybody. Peace.